possible. So you guys have heard of Alfred Nobel, right? How many of you heard of Alfred Nobel? You know his story? Do you know the story of Alfred Nobel? You know why the Nobel Peace Prize, or not just simply Peace Prize, but all the Nobel Prize exist? Do you know why they exist? Uh, it's an interesting story. Um, Alfred Nobel made a lot of money uh, building explosives. And a lot of people obviously use those explosives uh, to, to fight and to make war. And in 18, I think it was, yes, 1888, his brother Ludwig died, and the newspaper thought that it was Alfred who had died, and the newspaper ran Alfred's obituary. Alfred read his own obituary. And the headline was, The Merchant of Death Has Died. Now, you know, that's not maybe something anybody would want to see on their obituary. And of course, he, he was aghast that that's how he was remembered and, and viewed by the world. And he didn't like that. He wanted to change that legacy. So what he did was, and you know the rest of the story, at least in part, he gave $9 million to set up a trust to establish the Nobel Prizes to give prizes to those whom uh, the board determined had helped mankind. So, Alfred uh, Nobel, he took the opportunity to change his, his legacy in the world. And I think this is a great story because it's the opportunity that you and I have as Christians. We not only get to change our legacy in the world as we come to Christ, we are changing our inheritance forever. Right? Do you understand? Um, and have you read your Bibles? Do you understand the parable of the, the, the uh, minas, the parable of the talents? We'll develop that a little bit more as I go through. Um, Randy Alcorn talks about this. Now, Randy Alcorn is an American author, preacher, theologian, and he wrote a book called... Um, the Treasure Principle, which we used to have in the bookshelf, but I think they're all gone. Um, yeah, I think they're all gone. There might be one in there. Where Randy Alcorn talks about all the biblical promises for those who are, are, are givers. And he, he, in that book, he, he brings this up and he says, you know, really, you as a Christian, you should sit down and write what you want your obituary to be. You should just sit down and write it. You should sit down and write it from the perspective of your neighbor. What does your neighbor see? You know, what does your neighbor see or your co-worker see or your colleague see? What do they see? How would they write it? He said, then, then what you ought to do is you ought to ask yourself this question. How would God write it? How would God write your obituary? What would God say? You know, I always tell you this. I preach for an audience of one. I don't preach for you. Um, I don't write my sermon hoping that you'll like it. That's not what I do. <laughs> I only write my sermon... Uh, to please my audience of one. I have an audience of one. And I want to say to you, Christian, if you're a Christian here tonight, you have an audience of one. The only audience that matters is God. You, no other audience matters. How would God write your obituary? You know, one way or the other, um, obviously God is intimately aware of everything that's going on in your life. How would He write your obituary from God's perspective? 
I like what Alcorn says about this. He says, the moment a human being dies, they know without a doubt exactly how they should have lived. Right? There's not going to be any mystery once we cross over, once we walk through that portal, once we enter into death, there'll be no mystery. We will know immediately how awesome this God is, how beautiful He is, how worthy of worship He is, and we'll know immediately if we structured and built our life around that reality or we got tripped up and distracted in the world. Beloved, this is a powerful sentence. When you die, you will know instantly exactly how you should have lived. I think that uh, challenges me to think about my obituary and how God would see it. And it challenges me maybe to change some things in my life that need to be changed. If we're all honest, we all have work to do in this regard. None of us have arrived at perfection. None of us will arrive at perfection in this life. We're all still struggling with the sin nature uh, that is within us. What I want to say to you today and challenge you on is the biblical truth about reaping and sowing. And I, okay, I'm not, I'm not in the prosperity gospel thing. I'll mention that in a minute. You guys know I hate that. I'm, I, I abominate the prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel. But there is, this, there is this principle in the Bible about reaping and sowing. That through our obedience and stewardship, we're actually defining the scope, dimensions, parameters, and proportions of our own eternity. We're filling that out as we live here. As God's steward. You know you're a steward. The parable of the men is the parable of the talents. You are a steward of what God has given you and you will give an account. Remember what God says. I don't remember which parable it is now. But God left, I think it was the talents, He left, them, he left the, uh, the provision with the, the stewards and He said, do business. He says, I want you to do business with these. So I'm going to ask you, are you doing business? Are you doing spiritual business with, with what God has given you? Which is, everything you are and everything you have is from the benevolent hand of God. Are you a steward of it? Are you using it in your family and in your job and in your neighborhood and obviously in your church? Are you making much of Jesus with what God has given you. God means for His people to be jazzed about heaven. God means for His people to be pointed at heaven. God means for us to be all in when it comes to being a steward because we know that He is going to reward our socks off. Right? You don't have to be Einstein to understand this. Now, I've got some actuaries in the audience, so they're, they're like way ahead of me on this already. But you don't have to be Einstein to understand this. I want you to stay with me on this. Temporal effort, eternal reward. Okay, do you get it? Temporal effort, eternal reward. God says it. He says, oh, you, you increase the, the kingdom by... by I'm, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing now. By so many months' wages, He says... 
I'll tell you what. You rule over ten cities forever. God's reward is way out of proportion to what we do. But God says it. He rewards His people. He rewards His stewards who actually live like they know they're supposed to live in this life. They actually do it. They get up in the morning and they do it. It's not theoretical. It's not theoretical. Christianity is not theoretical. <laughs> I, I know it's real. And I'm jazzed about heaven. And I know I'm going to stand in front of Him soon. I'm going to give an account soon. Beloved, we should be thinking like this. This should never leave our minds. I know the modern church doesn't preach about heaven much, but shame on us. You know, I have a whole sermon series on heaven. It's on the podcast site if you want to go listen to it. We're supposed to be heaven-obsessed. And C.S. Lewis makes the point that heaven-obsessed are not so heaven-obsessed they are no, no earthly good. In fact, the heavenly-obsessed do the most. Do the most good on earth. Because they're heavenly obsessed. I'm always astonished at how easily we are, and I own it for myself as Christians, distracted with the world. How is that possible? How can we get so distracted? When God awaits us, and I, I want to make this point, I always make this point, God is our principal reward. God is our reward. All the subordinate pleasures of heaven are really just an extension of Him. He is our principal reward. I'm always amazed. My challenge to you, you live for the audience of one. You live for the audience of one. Real, real, real quick before I get into the text, I just want to share this with you. It's always meant a lot to me personally. I think God has used it to change the way I think, the way I live. Some of you will know who Jonathan Edwards is. He's a famous American theologian from the 18th century. Um, very famous man. Very famous biblical teacher. He uh, wrote a, what was it? He wrote 70 resolutions when he was a very young man. 70 resolutions that he was going to live by, right? He's going to live by these 70. I'm going to give you three of them. Three of them that that really have meant a lot to me. Number six, he says, I resolve to live with all my might while I do live. Isn't that wonderful? Are you living with all your might? All your spiritual might? Are you living with that? I love that. I think that's a great resolution. Number 17, resolve that I will live so as I wished I had lived when I come to death. Right? I will live so... Let me get it right as I shall wish I had lived when I come to death. That's what I'm talking about. And then the last one, number 22. Listen to this one. You'll love this one. I'm resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world, he's talking about heaven, as I possibly can. With all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that I can think of. Right? He's saying, he says, man, I, I, I'm all in on being a steward because I believe that God is a promise keeper. God has promised reward. We're not mercenaries. It's not about the reward. But God has put reward out there and He's done it for a reason. And I think He's done it because of, you know, do, you, do we actually believe what He says or not? 
Well, I don't, you know, I've met a lot of Christians over the years, and it's kind of like, well, you know, reward is too ig ignoble a, um, a concept. It makes me feel like a mercenary. It makes me feel like I'm trying to, you know, to store up treasures in heaven. What did Jesus say? Store them up! Store up those treasures in heaven! And of course, if you have that mercenary attitude, you, you won't actually be storing up any treasures in heaven. God knows your heart. He knows if you're a mercenary or if you love Him so much that you have to obey Him, that you want to obey Him, that it's your greatest joy to obey Him. You love Him so much. It is your great delight to be His steward. It is your great delight to do business for the few moments you have on this planet. So tonight as we continue in James... Um, He's continuing to do what I've been saying to you for the last three or four weeks. He, he's preaching to the wheat and He's preaching to the tares. He's preaching to uh, the true believer who is represented by the wheat, those who are true Christians and are moving on in their sanctification. And so James is exhorting the true believer, go on in your sanctification. In all the areas that we've been talking about in the last three or four weeks, James is also talking to the tares. Those in the church who are not converted but are only playing religion with God. We know that in the modern church, this is a huge demographic. It's epidemic in the modern church. People who are simply playing games with God. They give a little mental assent. They do a few religious things. I call myself a Christian. They're not really disciples. They've not really given themselves over to Christ. They've not really brought all of their life under the Lordship of Jesus. It's just... A little religion on Sunday if it's not too inconvenient. So we understand about that. James is preaching to the, to the wheat and to the tares. Tonight, he's principally talking to the lost about their money, about their greed, about their wealth and their possessions. But this is an opportunity for you and for me as a Christian to examine where we are with God on our money, on our possessions, and on our wealth. You know, you never let a good Scripture go by. It's applicable to both. It's applicable to the lost who are, who are lost in their greed. And it's applicable to you and I as we re-examine how we handle the money that God has given to us. There's no doubt in my mind that modern Western Christianity is the most materialistic era of all of church history. I would assume there are more professed Christians disobeying God with regard to their money today than there has ever been in the history of the church. Part of this is fueled by the whole prosperity gospel garbage. So, will a man rob God? Absolutely. All day long, a man will rob God. And most of the professing church is robbing God. I'm not just talking about the world. Of course the world robs God. They never give Him a second thought. They never give thanks to God for anything. But at least in the States, I'll give you a few statistics from the States. I don't have worldwide statistics, but George Barna is an American researcher and pollster. This is what he found when he did a, a survey on how professed Christians handle their money. Only 7% who claim to be born again, 
give at least a tithe. Now, you guys know how I feel about the tithe. I don't believe we're called to law giving in the New Testament. I don't believe that that, I don't believe we're called to law giving. I believe we're called past law giving. If you have questions about that, I'm not going to go into detail about that. If you have questions about that, let me know. Um, We're not called to law giving. Actually, Paul says, do what's in your heart. He told the Corinthians, he said, you know, do what's in your heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, but be a hilarious giver. Just be open-handed. This is what the Christians call too. It's, it's way past the tithe in, in, in my estimation. Okay. But this is the statistical information. George Barna found that the amount of gross income actually given by Christians to churches is under 4% of their income. 18% of professed born-again adults give no money to the church at all. Now, to me, that's an oxymoron. You can't claim to be born again and be close-fisted with God. You can, I just don't think it can work. I don't think, I don't think you can be born again. You know, why, why is the born-again believer a lavish giver? Why are we lavish givers? Why is that true? Because we have lavishly received. Amen? We have lavishly received. And certainly money is not the only way that we lavishly give. There are many ways to lavishly give. But the text tonight is talking about specifically about money. And so that's the focus of what we will talk about tonight. I just want to read this. I'll get off this. But I guess one of the big perversions in the modern church is this, you know, this uh, God as a slot machine. This genie in the sky, this Santa uh, this cosmic Santa Claus, if you sow the right seed, you'll get rich, blah, blah, blah. It's stupidity in the highest order. But I love what, I love what John Piper says about the prosperity gospel. And I just have to read it to you, and then I'll move on. Piper says, American preacher in the church, he says, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel swallows up the beauty of Jesus in the beauty of His gifts and turns those gifts into idols. Amen. The world is not impressed when Christians get rich and say, look what God did for me. The world is impressed when they see that Christ is so satisfying that we give our riches away for Christ's sake and count it as gain. We've been talking about living by the wisdom that comes down from God. James 3.17, going all the way back to James 3.17, we've been talking about that ever since. We're going to live by the wisdom that comes down from God. What does it mean for you and me as a Christian? It means we're going to be good stewards of what God has given me. I'm not going to play religious games with God. I'm not going to throw a euro in the offering plate and feel like, you know, well, I'm good with God. Maybe you are, if that's all you got. (laughs) Maybe you are, if that's all you can do. Maybe you are good with God. Listen, you don't have to prove anything to me. This is always between you and God. You know, this is what I tell everybody when they come to me about questions. I say, this is between you, the Word of God, and God. I am not in this. I am the mouthpiece of God. I am the minister of, of, of God in this, in this particular place, in this redeemed garage. This is the place God has given me. And I, I'm not going to get up all in your life. I shouldn't have to get up all in your life. That's between you and God. Are you going to obey the Word or not? I mean, that's really what we come down to. Amen? Are we going to obey the Word or not? Are we going to rationalize or not? Are we going to make excuses or not? I mean, that's really where we end up. So God is talking strong to us tonight. He's talking strong to us. Again, principally to the unbeliever. But I'm going to use this opportunity uh, for you and I to examine 
where we are and how we practice giving um, in our Christianity. He's talking to rich people. So, when you think of rich people, who do you think of? Who do you think of? Any, anyone can, can you, who do you think of? Do you think of like, I'm an American, so I tend to think of maybe Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or maybe a Saudi sheik or the Google guys or Berlusconi or whatever, right? Uh, Victor one day, prominent, <laughs> prominent up and coming, you know, international banker. Uh, I'll come live with you when I get old. And, uh, but you know, that's what you think of. But you know, I got to give you some. I got to give you some global perspective here. This is awesome stuff. Global perspective. Now, I under, don't 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 misunderstand me. I get it. I understand about cost of living. I understand this. But this is some glo- two global statistics for you. If you make more than twelve thousand euros a year, you make more than eighty-five percent of the world. That's probably a shock to some of you. If you make more than forty thousand euros, you make more than ninety-five percent of the world. What I want to say to you is there are billions of people who could not fathom making in a year what some of us make in a month. You, I understand some of you are students and you're just getting by. I get that. But we are wealthy people in this part of the world. We are a wealthy people. Again, straight talk from God tonight. I want to give you four quick, four quick biblical principles about money. This just lays the groundwork. One, you already know this, everything belongs to God. Psalm 50, 50 verse 12, For the world is mine and all it contains. Everything belongs to God. He's the sole proprietor of everything. That in, everything you think you own, it's God's. Secondly, money is amoral. It is morally neutral. It is neither good nor bad. It's the love of it that is the root of all sorts of evil. 1 Timothy 6 and 10. Thirdly, God has given us the ability to acquire and uh, the right to possess wealth. God has given this to us. Deuteronomy 8.18 The Lord your God has given you power to make wealth. And fourthly, the biblical principle for gaining money is what? How, how does a Christian gain money? How are we supposed to gain money? Work. It's the biblical principle. We, God gives us the ability to work and the energy to work. All who are able-bodied are to work. That's how we get money. That's how Christians get money. We are a working people. Paul says if an able-bodied person is not willing to work, let him not eat. So these are the biblical fundamentals. Everything in the cosmos belongs to God. Everything you and I possess belongs to God. Even the abilities we have to earn money and the energy to do it, it belongs to God. It's a gift from God. All of this is a gift from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, What do you have that you have not received? What do you have that you have not been given by God? Nothing. No thing. Do you have that is not from the benevolent hand of God? No thing. I hope you think about that just for a minute. So the born-again believer, the biblically literate born-again believer understands that we are nothing but stewards. Nothing. Nothing but stewards. Nothing but stewards before 
God. I heard a preacher say one time, and I can still I still can feel the pang. This was many, 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 many years ago. He said, "Well, let me get it right." He said, "If you managed your employer's money like you do the money God gives you, would you still be employed?" <laughs> Think about it. He went on to say, "Would you be indicted for misappropriation or embezzlement?" So, what is the Christian to do? This is beautiful. Some of you may never have thought about this. What is the Christian to do with the money that God enables us to earn? What, there's only two things. Can anybody think of what they are? There's only two things we're commanded to do with our money that God enables us to, to earn. Support our families. And then give. Two things. Support our families and give. Meet the needs of our families. Of course, there's the ten sermons right there. What is the real need? You know? Do you really need it? It's the conversation Karen and I have all the time. Do we really need that? You know, we say we need that. Do we really need that? Do we really need another pair of shoes? Really? Maybe we do. If we get a good deal though, right, Elaine? If you get a good deal at the resale shop, it's a, it's I'm only kidding about Karen. We'll edit that part. Nobody bring that up. But we talk about it together. Do we really need that? I mean, there's 10 sermons right there. Your definition of need. God says, I let you make money, I enable you to make money, that you'll provide for your family the needs of your family, and you'll give. I, I heard Piper say this, John Piper, my favorite American preacher, I heard him say this some time ago. He said, you know, you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't just be thankful for what you have. You should be making other people thankful for what you have. Isn't that an awesome thing? I'm not simply thankful for what I have. People around me are thankful for what I have because I, I'm open-handed with it. I'm free-hearted with it. I, I give. This is where God is calling us. So, what are the two things the world tells us to do with our money? What are the two things the world tells us to do with our money? Buy it or hoard it. Right? It's very simple. Two spiritual principles, two worldly principles. The world says, spend it or hoard it. God never says that. God doesn't say spend it or hoard it. The world says you've got to spend it because it'll make you happy. Where in fact the Bible tells us to give makes us happy, and it does if you, if you, in, if you are involved in that kind of project. Or hoard it. It'll make you more secure. We don't need security, do we, as Christians? God is our security. I don't trust in a pile of money. I trust in an awesome God. Amen? So those are the two things that the world says to us. And James is indicting the wicked rich here in the verse, first three verses of chapter 5. They are buying and they are hoarding. They do not acknowledge that God is the owner of all things. They do not acknowledge that God has given them ability, the ability to make and possess wealth. They do not function as good stewards of what God has entrusted to them. And so in these verses, James says, your riches are rotting, your garments are moth-eaten. Verse 2, your gold and silver have rusted. Verse 3, you might as well start weeping and wailing now. Verse 1, because your judgment is sure. Verse 5, 
This is a strong word. It's really the strongest word from God in the book of James. And James is merely echoing his half-brother. Who's the half-brother of James? Who? Jesus. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. You remember, the strongest word ever the strongest warning ever to come off the lips of Jesus in the New Testament. It's not about demons and devils and false doctrine and adultery and murder. It's not about that. You know what it's about? It's about your greed and my greed. Greed has a way of getting into the human heart. It simply has a way. Jesus says, beware! Watch out! Get back! If you want to you know, look at the literal, the literal Greek that's in... Uh, Luke chapter 12, he says, Be on your guard against every form of greed. And then he told the parable about the guy that was building all these barns and storing up all this stuff. He thought it was his. He said, I'll eat, drink, and be merry because I have many goods. And God says, You are a fool. Tonight I require your soul of you. So it is with every man who is not rich toward God. Every man who is not rich toward God is a fool, is what the text is teaching. Luke chapter 12. I love Luke chapter 12. I'm going to turn really quick and I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and I'm going to read 19 to 21. This is the, the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached. Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Listen, all i got to do is look at your checkbook or your credit card statement. That's all I have to do. Or your ledger, if you have a cash ledger. That's all I have to do. I know what you love. I know what you... I, I know. It's just... It's right there. It's in black and white. I know what your priorities are. I know... I know if you're storing up treasures in heaven or if you're storing up treasures on earth. I know! It's what the text is saying. It's saying what the, rest, the, the, the silver and gold will testify against you. The hoarded wealth will testify against you. It's in black and white. <laughs> it's in black and white for every one of us. You get down to verse 24, and here's, here's one warning I want to share with you. Verse 24, Matthew 6. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And James is condemning those who have given their lives uh, in this text to serve money. There's one ultimate issue about money. Okay? And guess what it is? <laughs> I bring every issue back to the same place. Someone, maybe one of you could guess. It's always about God. What you think about your money, how you handle your money, how you give your money, how you don't give your money, how you save your money, how you spend your money. It's all a commentary on God. It's never not a commentary on God. It's always a commentary on God. Who you believe God is and how you see Him. You know, a lot of people, when you talk about giving, this is why we don't talk about it much in this church. I have scar tissue on this subject and, and because I rail against the prosperity preachers, I will not talk much about this. But on occasion, it's my responsibility to, when I hit the text, 
is to preach it. So I, I just I just want to I guess that the, my job is to in, exhort you and encourage you and inform you what the what the Bible is actually saying. It's like Randy Alcorn says in the Treasure Principle. It's just stupid to be tight-fisted with God. He says it's stupid. Not because we're prosperity gospel preachers, but because of all these great promises. We're not overly concerned about temporal reward, and that's where the prosperity gospel goes. What we're really interested in is eternal reward. Temporal reward burns up. Eternal reward never does. Man, I want to leverage temporal works for eternal reward. I want to be bullish on the kingdom, right? Be bullish on the kingdom. And as Randy Alcorn says, it's just stupid not to if you actually understand or read what God says in His Word to those who will be open-handed with Him. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith, piercing themselves with many a pang. This is in part what James is addressing in the text. He's talking to the tares who are more in love with their money than they are with God. They're pursuing the money more than they're pursuing God. You cannot serve two masters is the clear teaching of Jesus. You remember what it, remember the parable of the soils, Matthew 13, the, the, the thorny soil. The worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choked the Word and became unfruitful. The unbeliever or the tear, by the way they handle their money, they reveal where their affections terminate. My affections terminate on God. This guy's a giver, man. He just gives. He just gives. He just opens his hand and he blesses people. You know, again, Randy Alcorn's analogy in the Treasure Principle. He said, "Man, you're supposed to just be a, a the FedEx guy. You're supposed to be God's FedEx guy. God gives you resources and you deliver it to the need. You get to keep what you need for your family. God, God lets you name your own salary. But then he says, "Hey, give as big as you dare. Give as big as you dare." How big do you think I am? Really is the, is the uns, unsaid emphasis there. The lavish giver believes that God is an infinite resource. I can give freely and lavishly because my God gives freely and lavishly. This is why Christians give. It's why Christians, real Christians, outgive any other human beings on the planet. It's because God is who God is. So we looked at the text here. These overtures about judgment and condemnation and God's talking about hell. If you love your money more than you love Me, God says you're on your way to hell. This is what He's talking about. It makes me think of, of that great text, John 15. You remember... When Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Every branch that does not bear fruit, uh, the vine dresser being the Father takes it away and it is thrown away as a branch and they gather them and they cast them into the fire. What's He talking about there in John 15? He's talking about the Judas branch. He looked real. Everybody thought He was real, but He wasn't real. Bam! God removed Him. And He's cast into the fire. It's, it's the, the imagery here is quite clear in the James text. 
He's talking about judgment. He's talking about eternal condemnation. So James is calling out the the pretenders, the tares, the false disciples, those who are simply playing uh, at Christianity. He's saying you really love your money more and your money will give testimony to that fact in the courtroom of God. And you, verse 5, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Where is it? It's verse 3. James is saying too, he says, I can't believe how stupid you are. These are the last days. I always remind you, these are the last days. You're going to hoard up in the last days? Are you kidding me? These are the last days. James can't believe it. You're hoarding up? And you're not paying your laborers? You're defrauding them? You're taking them to court? You're taking the poor to court? Are you kidding me? These are the last days. You're going to stand before God soon. That is the implication here. I've always loved Galatians 6-7, and really, this could just be the whole sermon. I, I could have saved you some time and me some, some of my voice. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. You can fool me. I can fool you. You can even fool yourself. But God knows if you're like this or if you're like this. God knows. God knows if you're like this or you're like this. Again, we've been talking about for four weeks the wisdom that comes down from God. And I'm challenging you as your pastor that you would proactively live according to the wisdom of God. And that means you're like this. With all that you have, you're like this. You're like this. You have open hands. Verse 5, God says, In your prosperity you've not honored Me, you've not given thanks. Um, you've disregarded my commands regarding money and wealth and giving. Instead of becoming a conduit of blessing, you've become a reservoir of selfish indulgences. But you have lived luxuriously a life of wanton pleasure. Verse 6, quickly. What does this mean? Uh, conservative commentators believe that this is a reference to the rich taking the poor to court um, to take what even little they do have. Um, James alludes to this in chapter 2, verse 6, where the rich drag the poor man into court. So, last minute or two, I just want to bring it to a close. I love what C.S. Lewis says. There's always this simple brilliance in what he says that transcends what he's actually saying. But he says, you know, if you're doing your sums, sums wrong, what? If you're doing your sums wrong, what? What's going to happen if you do your sums wrong? Famous, future famous international banker. I'm putting you on the spot. Sums. You're going to get the wrong answer. Yeah. If you do your sums wrong, what? You get the wrong answer. If you're like this with God... <laughs> you've got the wrong answer. You're doing your sums wrong if you're like this with God. You're doing your sums wrong. 
Some of us in this room need to re-examine where we are with God when it comes to our money and our possessions and how open-handed and free-hearted we are with those things. You are like Alfred Nobel. You can change both your temporal and eternal legacy in this way, starting today, actually. (laughs) Isn't that a wonderful thing about God's Word? I can repent today, and I can change my legacy if it needs to be changed. You know, the thing about preaching about money, one reason I don't preach about it much is because I always end up giving more. Um, That's confession, I guess. I always end up giving more. Whenever I preach about money, I have to give more. I mean, it's stupid not to. That's how I see it. Why wouldn't I be bullish on the things of God? Right? So I have three invitations tonight. Three invitations. First, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and surrendered to Him and given God lordship in your life, I invite you to come tonight to Jesus Christ and be saved and learn and understand why it's so easy to be open-handed with Him. You can be open-handed with Him because He is a lavish giver. You know, some people see God as a taker. If you have those kinds of thoughts about God, I have to say to you, you you haven't learned the first thing about God, the the, the true God, the biblical God. Some people see God as a taker. He wants my money. He wants my money. He wants my money. He doesn't need your money! But you and I need to give it. It's about faith. Hebrews 11.6 It's always about faith. It's always about faith. It's never not about faith. What is it that pleases God? Faith. So God's going to call you to be a good steward and to give a portion of what He has given you. The second invitation is this. For some of you who are nominal Christians, you're, you're here, you've made a profession of faith in Jesus, but you've never really given your financial uh, situation to Him. You're holding that to yourself. You're going to manage that on your own. And so I, I'm, I'm challenging you to truly give it to, to the Lord. You may, you may be a converted man or woman. You may be a true Christian. But you've never, ever, ever given this over to God. And so these are my three invitations. If you're, if you're lost, come to Christ. If you're a nominal Christian, come to Christ. If you've been playing games with God when it comes to money and wealth, repent. Repent. And be like this with God. Be open-handed with God. John MacArthur says it perfectly. The credibility of your Christianity is at stake in how you handle the money the Lord has entrusted to you. So I exhort you both to honor and obey God in the money, wealth, and possessions He has given you. God has called us over and over and over again not to be extravagant spenders or insecure hoarders, but to be free-hearted and open-handed givers. If you haven't read Alcorn's book entitled The Treasure Principle, go buy it. I'm sorry, I don't think we have any left. Go buy it on Amazon and read it. It will encourage you. Actually, if you haven't read that book and you have a problem in this area, I actually dare you to go read it. I actually dare you to go read the book and then I dare you to come talk to me about it. (laughs) Okay? This is a loving dare. Only loving dares 
But this is a loving dare. Jesus says, and I'm done, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Will you live by the wisdom that comes down from God? Will you do it? That's what we've been talking about. Will you do it? It's stupid not to. It's stupid not to. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this Word. We all have miles to go in this area, I'm sure. We know it's about faith. We know You don't need our money. It's not about that. But because You're such a lavish giver, You've called us to be such in the world. That unbelievers would see us Loving and giving, and providing and coming alongside and meeting needs that they would say, what's going on with those people? Why do they give like that? Why do they love like that? And it's a chance for us to be your witnesses in the world. To say we can't help but give to our great God who gives and gives and gives and gives again. This God who never stops giving. Of course we're givers. It's second nature to us now. We are in relationship with the God who owns heaven and earth. We know Him. We trust Him. We love Him. Of course we honor Him. Of course we seek to be good stewards. Of course we do. It's out of the question that we would not. So Lord God, help us. Wherever we are, this is a small group tonight. We're all probably in different places, but we ask for Your help. Meet us where we are on this point. We want to be obedient and we want to be good stewards. We want to hear those words, Lord. We want to hear those words, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. We want to hear those words. Help us, Father. Help us, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Shall I just, just dismiss tonight, maybe? Okay, we'll just dismiss. I think maybe I have something. Let's see. Yes, I love this verse. When I was growing up, a little boy uh, in a little church in central Arkansas, we used to always close with this, and I love this. I thought I would share it with you tonight. You guys know this. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. Amen. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace, brothers and sisters. Go in peace. Be open-handed, open-hearted this week. God bless. Have a great week.